Hello everyone, this is my birthday edition of V Radio. Yesterday was my birthday, I turned 45 years old. I'm sorry that it's been a while since I've done some content. In addition to my injured spine, I slipped in the snow and destroyed my knee, so now I am completely bedridden. And <laughs> thankfully some friends of mine came over and built a desk that it allows me to use my desktop computer. So. <clears throat> With that said, the reason I decided to make this video is basically just kind of a video companion to this Facebook post so that I can ensure that it gets out to more of my viewers and listeners. Um, but I think it's important that I address this, and this has primarily to do with my history with the Zeitgeist Movement and the Venus Project, but it's also relevant to pretty much all of the content that I've been doing lately. I've been having a lot of arguments and fights with various people who used to follow my show regularly and now they're telling each other that I've just sold out. So I'm going to get to that now as I go ahead and read this work. To all longtime V Radio fans who followed my work because of TZM and TVP. So I started this birthday post and accidentally deleted it several paragraphs in. Hopefully this just means I can do better. What I want for my birthday is for you to take a moment and read this. I have had some reasons to be more concerned with my own mortality lately, and it caused me to feel it was important that I clear the air on some issues. It has been brought to my attention that some people who listen to me for years believe I have sold out to the right, or that I have somehow changed. If you are one of those people, this post is for you, and for those of you who stuck by me regardless. I took a break from activism for a while to focus more on my family. I realized particularly because my children's mother was a toxic person who finally left their lives. In the days when I was doing shows all day, every day, it took up an enormous amount of my time, and I was not being the father I wanted to be. When I divorced their mother, I realized I had to step it up as a parent. While my shows were anywhere from an hour to three hours, there was usually eight to twelve hours involved in researching topics to be sure I actually knew what I was, you know, was talking about. Now, <clears throat> around that time was also when the social justice stuff started to find its way into the Zeitgeist Movement and Venus Project circles. I didn't leave because of this, but it's important to note that I was warned that it would eventually become a problem, and it has. Rather, that I warned that it would eventually become a problem, and it has. What I remember most was conversations with people like Ivan, Munoz, Chet Gaines, and Brandy Hume, when I had to remind them that Fresco and Joseph both had stated that they did not support specific group activism, meaning racial, gender, etc. activism, not because we didn't care about those issues, but because trying to address them through activism was, as Roxanne Meadows put it, playing whack-a-mole with you know, basically fighting symptoms and ignoring root causes. <clears throat> the understanding was that racism, sexism, etc. were all symptoms of the disease, though there was more to it than that. Before my trip to Venus, Florida, I still considered myself a racial and gender activist. I knew Jock didn't feel it was the correct course of action, and I asked him why in person. I remember talking to him about it as we walked around his property. After reiterating that racism and sexism and the other bigotry behaviors are just symptoms, he also elaborated further on the pitfalls that activists who deal with that sort of stuff fall into. One, you find yourself starting off with the best of intentions. But before long, you start to become just as bigoted and hateful of the other as the people you set out to oppose. 
This often manifests in an emotional attachment to your activism that causes you to start prioritizing your emotions over your reason and logic. It becomes acceptable to broad brush the other with hateful thoughts. It encourages confirmation bias to find justification for your anger. You start out telling yourself you are looking for equality. Then before long, you start pushing for advantage over other groups. You justify this to yourself because of your perception of a history of being oppressed. So it's like payback. It's justified for your group to be in the better position. You deserve it. You start being more and more comfortable speaking negatively about the other in ways you would never tolerate being spoken about whatever group you are championing. You stop actually being an agent for ending racism, sexism, or whatever, and start being part of the problem by perpetrating it, or rather perpetuating it, without even realizing it. In fact, you go so far as to believe it's totally justified to be racist, sexist, or phobic against the identified oppressor group because they deserve it. And you lose sight of the actual goal, which is to eliminate thinking of other people's differences. That was what you set out to do, and now instead, you are an amplifier for it. Three, <clears throat> the goal set out by Jacques' vision of the future was the realization that race, gender, etc. are all superficial, meaningless differences. If we fixate on those differences, it becomes impossible to find mental attention for our similarities and common causes. This does not mean there is not historical oppression. This does not mean that the suffering of marginalized groups is not important. It means embracing the truths of the situation. One of those truths that few people are willing to look at, particularly if they are in the social justice crusade, is that every people on this planet has oppressed another. If we want that to end, we have to end any reason to fight each other. You do that by eliminating scarcity. I left Fresco's home that day and thought about what he told me in the car ride home. I was still somewhat skeptical, but I decided in humility to continue to observe for the signs of what my mentor told me. He turned out to be 100,000% correct about all of it. I participated in the Occupy movement. I went to two camps, one in Detroit and one in Flint. I sometimes visited Lansing. What I discovered was that an initially beautiful group of people in Detroit that were incredibly diverse and united towards common causes started to divide into cliques who were mostly interested in specific group grievances, all of which were trying to make Occupy about themselves, racial, gender, sexual orientation, sexual identification, etc. The resulting infighting that took place took a very heavy toll on Occupy Detroit and made it difficult to be effective. I literally watched this happen in real time, as when we started it, it was not like that. It evolved over time, as people with the woke agenda work to slowly make the movement's focus more and more on dividing everyone up into categories of oppression and developing a new hierarchy of the oppressed. In contrast, Occupy Flint didn't have this issue and was as a result far more productive. There was still some infighting, but it was a natural personality clashes, not talk like the males in this room should only be allowed to talk for half the speaking time or one I will never forget, a resolution to ensure that no white males would ever be allowed to speak on behalf of Occupy Detroit. When you entered debates, this new oppression hierarchy was more important than the truth, being rational, etc. If you were part of the broad-brush-labeled broad oppressor classes and were winning a debate on an issue because you were correct, all an oppressed person had to do to turn the tide of the argument was to tell you to check your privilege. Then suddenly you were expected to back down and let them win, no matter how incorrect the other person was. 
I saw a similar attitude trying to take root in the zeitgeist movement as I was about to leave and brought my concerns to the attention of the directors at the time, Peter Joseph, Jen Wilding, and Gilbert Ismail. I got very little response. So now as I watch closely by listening to the left, I see this sort of thinking invading everything in an intellectual pandemic. And if you don't go along with it, you are automatically entirely on the right. Take conversations about Tulsi Gabbard, for example. People are now saying she is a Republican or becoming one. She advocates for a $15 minimum wage, universal basic income, free college, maternity leave, and is anti-war focused. Yeah, not a Republican. But because she doesn't pass the purity test of the social justice movement, now she's on the right. The social justice movement is trying to make their issues key to any claim of being progressive or on the left. I am watching as social justice continues to evolve into a religion or faith that is aggressively recruiting. That religion is on a crusade that has an inquisition that conducts witch hunts to find blasphemers to label heretics who should be excommunicated. Hypocrites patrol the world going so far as to look at ten, year, 10 or more years of someone's social media history to find any sign of the devil. They are taught that the devil is literally everywhere, and if you haven't found it yet, you are just not looking hard enough. I recall this manifesting once in a Facebook group about, of all things, Godzilla movies. Someone shared an article that identified the recent Godzilla movie as racist and sexist. Fortunately, the minorities in the group joined with us in lambasting how ridiculous it was, but to give you an idea of the dangerous mentality I'm talking about in this movement, let me explain. There is a scene in the movie wherein a white male general ignores the warnings of the Japanese scientist. The author of the article says this scene upholds white supremacy. The general decides to use nuclear weapons against Godzilla against the urgings of the Japanese scientist. This, pe this person in their witch hunt mindset was looking for the devil, so it colors everything they see in that perception. What I saw was that in the end the Japanese scientist was proven absolutely correct and the white male general looked like an idiot but that for some reason was not included in the article. That for some reason. It was more important to find the devil than for it to actually make any sense. Why is this, mentally, why is this mentality dangerous? Because we are willing to ignore the truth of what took place to find justification for our outrage addiction. Rage, ad rage addicts need their fix, and like a heroin addict, we do completely nonsensical things to get their fix, and will always find equally nonsensical ways to justify it. I'm not being hyperbolic and comparing it to a witch hunt or an inquisition. Maybe I see it more as there was a time period of my life wherein I studied the f that phenomenon of religious persecution. But what is wrong with religious persecution is not just about forcing your beliefs on others, it's about abandoning all reason to protect your faith. So what made me dust off my old beat-up headset? The election had something to do with it initially, but what made me really dive back in was the situation with Kyle Rittenhouse. Why did, he sp why did I spend so much time on that? I started looking into what happened in Kenosha that night, assuming that Kyle was some sort of deranged school shooter type. I studied it very carefully, literally spending 8-12 to 12 hour days for two weeks, literally hurting myself from sitting in my computer chair too long, going, every, going over every second of footage I could find. Why? People, outright, were lying about what took place. People I respected, people I thought were critical thinkers, were lying or spreading outright falsehoods from a position of ignorance. 
It was far too important to them that they perceived him as someone on the right, and therefore he had to be wrong. I put together an hour-long documentary on the topic outlining the critical timeline of what took place. I shared this information and dealt with outrage from people who followed my work. Why? How dare I be on the wrong side? How dare I stand up for this murderer? When I tried to share with them what I learned, I got completely emotional responses, and myself being labeled a right-winger. It was very George Bush, you were either with us or you were with the terrorists sort of energy, and the truth was completely subservient to upholding your team. I was told I was using right-wing talking points. I recognized that people were identifying legitimate points made by their opposition as right-wing talking points, which should never be repeated, even if they are correct. I want to take a second to elaborate on that because I almost made an entire video about this issue of talking points. The term talking points are just things that you think is relevant and to say that we don't repeat right-wing talking points is like suggesting that we're not going to address whether or not they're correct, we're just going to identify that an idea is right-wing talking point, so therefore should not be repeated. We don't have to refute it, we'll just say that that's a right-wing point of view, so we're not going to repeat that. It's just not, it, it just doesn't work. It, it's not rational argument and it doesn't change anybody's minds. You're just trying to shame me for repeating something that somebody you don't like said, even if they were correct. Anyway, <clears throat> the situation reminded me of gym class, where if we were playing a game and a bad call went our way, we would be quiet about it. After all, maybe that score was not legit, but it was for our team and we wanted to win. That's not who I am. More lies were being perpetrated. I knew full well that Antifa was what, rather, what Antifa was because we had them at Occupy. They were annoying as fuck, walking around behind our peaceful marches, breaking shit, and we would get the blame. If you want more information on that, I have three or four videos on this topic, including going all the way back to Antifa and Occupy. Anyway, they were a predominantly communist anarchist group, and still are. I went to some forums and uncovered exactly what I expected, which was that the effort to claim everyone is Antifa is a recruitment tactic to get people interested so that they can be radicalized. I provided this evidence. Nobody wanted to listen. It's funny, as when I was making another documentary about the riots all year, I stumbled on articles from left-leaning websites openly talking about Antifa as an organization that, while decentralized, is absolutely an organization. There is clearly an attempt now to socially engineer a different understanding. That strategy, the strategy is clear, and BLM, meaning Black Lives Matter, uses it as well. Now, to be clear here, and I plan on doing a whole video again just about like the actual nature of Antifa, but when you go to their forums and such, they just openly admit that this is a real thing. When you, you know, basically read their materials, they say don't use the name Antifa because the media is less likely to pick up a story about the People's Liberation Group or something like that, but they will pick up a story about Antifa. This whole thing is a PSYOP job to try to prevent people from believing that there is a group like Antifa. You know, it reminds me of the biblical idea of the best thing that the, you know, that rather the most dangerous thing Lucifer ever did was to convince everybody that he didn't exist. Um, is there a centralized Antifa? They do have a meeting that they go to, um, a conference like once a year, you know, but for the most part, yes, it is a group of decentralized groups, but it is still an organized group. They still do communicate. They still do jointly get together and figure out what they're going to do to some extent. 
and the people saying that it just doesn't exist are just lying. That's been the new thing. And I, I wasn't joking when I said left-leaning websites like The Hill, uh, The Washington Post, we're all reporting on Antifa. If you go back to look for, say, 2016-ish, 2015, 2017, you're going to find all kinds of articles about Antifa interviewing people who identify themselves as members of Antifa. Now there's an obviously clear, like, just social engineering attempt to lie a new truth about Antifa into being, and it's simply wrong. Um, anyway... So as far as the strategy that is clear that Black Lives Matter uses as well, <clears throat> let me get into that. If something is done that is bad on behalf of your activist group, you can just claim those people were not in your group. Must have been the opposite group in disguise. Both sides do this, meaning right and left. On investigation, I found many examples of what was quite obviously leftists or people of color engaging in or encouraging violence, looting, and arson in the name of their groups. I want to be clear here. The reason that people of color is relevant here is only because I'm sick of everybody suggesting that all rioting and looting is instigated entirely by white supremacists. So unless the people of color who are engaging in these activities, which again is not everybody at these protests, but you know, unless these people of color happen to also be white supremacists, that argument is just ridiculous. And I want to be clear. It's equally ridiculous to suggest that Antifa is behind everything that went on at the Capitol riots. I, I wouldn't surprise me if there were Antifa people there. It wouldn't surprise me if there were some Proud Boys at some of the other, you know, um, bad leftist things that happened. But it doesn't change the fact that, it, by and large, you know, the majority of the people who go to these things are usually the people who believe in what, it, you know, what that uh, is supposed to, what that particular protest is supposed to be about. But anyway, no amount of evidence you provide changes this. And if you press the issue, it's because you are a right winger, fascist, or whatever. I critically analyzed the police violence issue and dug up the actual statistics. I came to the realization that while of course all deaths matter, the current dialogue about deaths at the hands of police is often described as a genocide, despite the fact that factually you are statistically more likely to die in childbirth, in a house fire, or drowning in a pool than you are to die at the hands of police, no matter what color you are. This is not my opinion, it is scientifically accurate. We can make an argument for more black people dying at the hands of police, like it is, and that it's disproportionately them. But I actually have the numbers. You're talking about 1,000 or less a year people total in the whole country who die at the hands of police of any color. Anyway, but the prescribed solutions are not rational and are often based on a completely irrational understanding of the problem. I watched as people developed a disturbing blind spot, asking for total abolishment of police in many cases, that there, is a, that there is in fact crime, and that it does in fact kill far more people than police ever shoot total in a year. Something I should have included in here that I didn't is another common lie that keeps getting spread is that supposedly nobody is saying abolish the police. If you go back to the video of the Breonna Taylor verdict when Antifa showed up with literal riot gear, pun intended, it said abolish the police and big giant banners. There is a section that wants to only defund the police and recirculate the money, but there's also an extremely <clears throat> vocal want, you know, movement, mostly made up of anarchists, who just want to abolish police altogether. And a lot of them, just like the previous things I said earlier about how they try to radicalize people, they feel if they can get people to defund the police that they can eventually convince them to just get rid of the police altogether. 
Now, to be clear, as a zeitgeister, Jacques Fresco, Peter Joseph guy, um, I do want to see an end to policing eventually. But I also recognize the very critical part of this is that you have to have a value shift change. And we don't. We don't have that right now. And you're already seeing that because they voted to abolish the police, rather to defund the police in Minneapolis. And now they've just voted to refund the police in Minneapolis, giving them over $6 million to hire new police officers. Because simply turning off the police didn't fix the problem. <clears throat> anyway. So, just talking about the blind spot. Okay. So there is, in fact, crime that does, in fact, kill far more people than police ever shoot total in a year. The number's about 24,000 deaths at the hands of criminals every year, as opposed to 1,000 deaths at the hands of police, which is a number that is not adjusted for legitimate shootings, meaning people who needed, unfortunately, to be shot for whatever reason. Now, very much like Peter Joseph pointing out an addendum that the war on terror was a knee-jerk overreaction to people with an agenda, and that more people died of peanut allergies than terrorist acts. People were suspending critical thought about reality, and if you didn't go along with it, you are with the terrorists. I critically analyzed, for example, the Jacob Blake shooting, which I did a video about that you can check out as well, but people on the left are strangely silent when you point out that the victim was violating a restraining order his rape victim had against him while trying to take her car and her kids. These details were bad for the narrative. If you pointed them out, you were told you were lying. You get banned from forums. <coughs> I'll take a second to point out that the people of Kenosha were systematically burning down their own city because the cops shot a guy who was trying to leave in a vehicle with children in it that, you know, when he was not supposed to take the vehicle. There, there's all kinds of elements to this that, again, I did a different video about that people just won't talk about. They don't want to discuss this. This whole issue about what actually happened with Jacob Blake is a hush-hush. We, we don't talk about that. What is exactly the benefit of not talking about that? Why should people not discuss what actually took place? Why is it so important that we identify Jacob Blake as the victim? The victim would have been Jacob Blake's rape victim who had to call the cops because he was trying to leave with her car. That's the victim. Anyway... Black people dying at the hands of police is getting more attention from the left now than any other issue, when there are things killing far more people overall, and again, it's all symptoms. One of these symptoms is a cultural issue in the poor cities that takes place in poor cities all over the world, including where there are no white people, including where there are only white people, a culture that causes kids to drop out of school, get involved in crime because it's cool, make fun of people who get jobs and try to improve themselves, and shoot each other over stupid things like dissing each other. But the problem is now white people themselves are being determined to be the cause. If you don't believe me, I can provide evidence, but I was on a socialist forum the other day and was told that all of capitalism and wealth disparity is a racist, Bilderberg, Illuminati-level conspiracy. When you bring up that it takes place where there are no white people, you are told you are wrong. We could Thanos snap all white people out of existence tomorrow and not one aspect of our economic inequality would change other than the lack of a scapegoat. This is the thing I, I wish like 
you could even just figure out a way to like, I don't know, use a portal or something to show them. But you could literally just get rid of all white people and none of this would change. But we are basically being suggested that the entire system is all built on white supremacy, as if there's this grand conspiracy where powerful white people get together, and that's the reason we have this problem. The thing is, is that, you know, as has been demonstrated, actually, when there was a group of black intellectuals who were gathered by um, Brett Weinstein to discuss the possibility of reparations, and one of the things they pointed out was that statistics have shown us that frequently people who get who win the lottery are poor again inside of four to five years. The problem of what's going on with income inequality and poverty is not going to go away just by throwing some money at it. That's a start, but it's not enough on its own. Until you change the underlying culture, it's just going to continue. That's the part that nobody really wants to address. It's much easier to just blame it on white people than to in any way self-introspect on what's actually going on in those communities. And I grew up in those communities, which is why when I have people, especially like spoiled college kids who've probably never even set foot in a bad neighborhood, lecture me about what it's like to live there, I just wanna smack them. I mean, not literally, but it's just like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, the issue is classism, as described by Patty Shannon in his film, Capitalism and Other Kids Stuff, which I might add is a Socialist Party of the United Kingdom video. Um, During the kindergarten game segment, the character Rex, which was his personification of the wealthy elite, finds ways to divide us. Race, gender, religion, etc. are not the issue. They are tools on the table of the elite. The elite don't actually care about race, gender, etc. They want us to. The purpose is to prevent us from uniting. As only united can we actually hope to change this world for all of us. I could go on for hours describing other situations where the rational is being cast aside. Actually, let, let me go back. I need to make sure that this is clear. What I'm getting at is that racism is not the cause. When people talk about systemic racism as if there's just that, that it's all race-based, it actually brings me back to another Occupy Detroit argument, which is one of the things that led to me being less involved, was that there was some kind of resolution passed to cut the funding for books to Detroit schools. And somebody pointed out, well, yeah, it's because they're black schools. And I, having grown up in schools like that, pointed out, just so you guys are aware, they don't care any more about the white trash kids that are stuck in those schools either. In many cases, these people are not just sitting there thinking, how can I screw over black people today? It's it's a poor people issue. They don't care about the poor. The schools are not better in the poor white ghettos in the South where people live in trailer parks. No more money is thrown to those people. There's no rainbow bridge to, to rescue white people from the ghetto. And it's important to understand, you know, when you consider all of that, is that we're in the same boat. We're on, you know, we need to understand that we're on the same team. And you need to recognize that if you're now to the point where you're suggesting that, say, some poor single mom working as a waitress living in a trailer is your oppressor just because she happens to have white skin, you need to reevaluate because that's asinine. Anyway, I could go on for hours describing other situations where the rational is being cast aside. I can go on for hours describing things that people who are now angry at me for pushing for that do not measure up to scrutiny. People are angry at me for pointing out hypocrisy. 
People are angry at me for settling, setting the record straight when it comes to the shit people make up about the right, but they misinterpret my motives. I am not on the right, but I recognize that if we ever want to reach them, we have to have credibility. There are plenty of legit ways to criticize what they believe or what they do. We don't have to make stuff up. We don't have to lie or allow others to lie. And when we do this, the divide gets wider and wider. Now, I think it's important for me to take a moment here to point out that the reactions I typically get are that we have now dehumanized the right so much that nobody wants to reach them. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But we've now dehumanized everybody who was a Trumper, you know, to the point where we just think that they're subhuman. They don't even deserve to, you know, have a platform. They don't deserve to have jobs. You know, we'll get into that later. <clears throat> I also recognized a disturbing trend of becoming more and more comfortable with authoritarian measures such as censorship and the slow and steady dehumanization of the right as the other. That's what I was just talking about. I'm engaging with people who tell me that even moderate Republicans are fascists and should be treated as fascists. In fact, people on the left who don't 100% fall in line are also fascists and or Nazis. Well, how do we, they suggest we treat these people? That depends on how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, but it involves not allowing them to speak, not allowing them to have jobs, and not allowing them to live in some cases. The extremism on this issue is slowly ramping up with no end in sight. One of the things that I remember more extreme members of Antifa pointing out was that even liberals get the bullet too. And that's essentially a reference to if we ever take over, we're going to shoot the left-leaning people who are not us as well. Anyway, it's okay to advocate for censorship as long as it's the only the dangerous ideas being censored. You know, like the Nazis burning books that they disagreed with to be sure these ideas didn't get out there. I did a video about censorship you can watch on this topic too, but people scream false equivalency, but there is a reason we as a society are supposed to oppose all censorship, because we know historically the pendulum swings. If we engage in censorship, we can expect the other side to do so as well. People defended the social media censorship dubiously, saying it was private companies doing it and not the government. When I asked some of them if they would prefer the government also censored, they would hesitate because they knew they were about to give up ground. And the reality is, yes, they would prefer the government censored ideas that they don't like. We are told now not to debate anymore. We should censor speakers we don't like instead of debating with them. We should deplatform them rather than listen to them and engage with them and prove them wrong in open forums. I remember speaking to a BLM activist about this and they said, I don't care about convincing people. I want them to be afraid. Ironically, anyone who understands how racism flourishes knows that fear is the fertilizer for hatred. We are told it's acceptable to burn down and destroy neighborhoods in the name of economic justice. Never mind the fact that, and this is a fact, that communities that this happens to generally take 10 or more years to financially recover. People don't want to invest in communities where people reserve the right to burn down all the businesses anytime they don't like something that the government did. When the KKK was upset that black people were flourishing in Tulsa at Black Wall Street, did they burn down their own communities in protest? Nope, they burned down Black Wall Street. Think on that. But if you oppose rioting or violence, etc., you're a white supremacist. And yes, there are plenty of us peaceful protesters out there, 
But much like they say to us, white silence is violence, they are culpable if they don't speak up when people in the name of the BLM commit acts of violence. Instead, not only do they fail to do this, they usually go so far as to lie or cover up these things when they do happen. They rarely, if ever, call it out or oppose it, and certainly not without the fervor, or with the fervor they expect people to show when calling out racists. The dehumanization of the other gets to dark places when you consider that it is extremely easy to get labeled fascist, Nazi, racist, white supremacist, because in those same circles it's acceptable to engage in preemptive violence and call it self-defense, so we identify people as the other with as much consistency as the Inquisition finding witches and heretics, and then we say it's open season to commit violence on them. When Gina Carano made her infamous post that got her fired from Disney, this was the phenomenon that she was referring to. She didn't mean it was literally like Nazi Germany, never mind the ironic truth that people have been calling Trump literally Hitler for the last four years. The process of dehumanizing the other takes time, and I watch as people are more radicalized into believing these people don't deserve to exist. The problem as is, as I identified earlier, the other is a list that is ever expanding. It is including people who are more and more moderately on the right. Your moderate Republican neighbor is not a fascist, but that is where the dialogue is heading. This is long as hell, but it's a complicated issue. Let me try to close with this. I did not change. I would ask you if you have. Has it become more important to cover up things the left does wrong, even if you know it's true? Is it more important to suspend your critical thinking to join the mob you agree with? At the cornerstone of the Zeitgeist Movement TVP thinking, we were supposed to be advocating for critical analysis and truthful scientific understanding of everything around us to better govern society through a horizontal scientific consensus. The left at this time is not even remotely capable of seeing the truth. At all. If you are complicit in this, then you are part of the problem. Not me. I am on team thinking. If that's not your team, okay. I don't care about the size of my audience. I recognize the people who can maintain their clarity in moments like we are living through are a minority. So I took a few moments to not only tag some people, but also to bring up some history on this issue. Um, Peter Joseph had done an article about reverse racism, and it appears the Zeitgeist Movement blog has been taken down, but the Wayback Machine allowed me access to this article. But anyway, <clears throat> some history to go with this. He was answering the question, you know, why aren't there more black people in your movie? At first I thought he was joking. In fact, I spent a good couple of minutes making fun of the question, only to find he was indeed not joking. He really felt the need to understand why, in his view, there were not more black people in the film. So of course I explained that race is an arbitrary factor on all levels, and that I simply do not recognize race anymore, and the idea of politically correct media isn't a notion I care for or care about, for it is a contrivance which perpetuates a false need to be superficially equal, as though I should say to myself, hmm, the film is good, but I think I need more women, black people, Native Americans, Middle Easterners, Jews, Amish, and handicapped people, etc. Another quote, sadly, this is how many people comprehend in this culture. They don't want to think, so they isolate the person's assumed character. I'm going to read that again. Sadly, this is how many people comprehend in this culture. They don't want to think, so they seek to isolate the person's assumed character, race, background, job, whatever, and attack that, rather than listen to what they say. 
And yes, I know I'm Peter Joseph, the arrogant Satanist communist, New World Order asshole, megalomaniac, cult leader, conspiracy theorist, but hey, I guess, guess what? Even if all those labels were true, it changes nothing. Now in this quote, what Peter is addressing is the fact that the notion that basically people wanted to see more black voices in the in the zeitgeist films and he just pointed out that data is data like i go to whoever has the data you know he didn't say to himself i'm not going to put more black people in the film it just so happened that the experts that he found largely happened to be at that moment anyway not black people not because black people can't be experts neil degrassi tyson you know i think it'd be great to hear what he thinks i actually just got shared a link recently about this it's not about race it's about the data but this was back in you know in, during the days when everybody recognized that your race is not relevant this was before we started making you know race the issue that we're supposed to go into every social situation as activists and then define ourselves entirely by what race background whatever we are and then we can start talking we have to frame it based entirely on what makes us different so anyway, another quote, frankly, it is nothing but biased and racist for there to be Puerto Rican day parades or Italian American day. It is nothing but biased and racist for there to be black awareness month. It is nothing but biased and sexist for the idea of the feminist to exist in the arrogance it often does today. Aren't we interested in equality? If so, it means that you do not promote your institution of gender, race, or ideology above others. It means you recognize the historical bias against you and work for it to be neutralized, not elevated in a vindictive ego sense. I remember reading about Martin Luther King Jr.'s apprehension to the idea of black power. He knew, he understood that to try to make your race or sex or the like outstanding is equality as, is equality as biased as the oppressive forces that started the sad trend of inequality we see today. Is there a dire need to generate more equality across race, gender, and class lines? Yes, but that doesn't mean your race, gender, class happens to be special. You're all human, period. So again, I posted the link here. I'll just include it in the description, but I had to go find this on the Wayback Machine, but this was an article in the Zeitgeist Movement blog you know, quite some time ago, 2011, you know, where Peter was responding to this issue. Um, and since then, Peter has kind of dipped in a direction where he's using terms like systemic racism. Um, I, I, I don't know. But regardless, when people act like I'm crazy, you know, that I'm the person who's deviated, I'm the one who's changed, you know, this was the history of the Zeitgeist movement. And it was understood, you know, we talked about it during Q&As and all that all the time, that we don't advocate for this for the reasons I already explained. Now, this video, um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play the video, but you can look at it too. There are no Negro problems or Polish problems or Jewish problems or Greek problems or women's problems. There are human problems. What Fresco pointed out was that basically we have to elevate the entire society simultaneously and that these kinds of issues where people are fighting over resources, literally what leads to racism, sexism, etc. Um, and that those problems go away if you fix that problem, if you fix the underlying causes. What I find interesting when you're discussing the, the Black Lives Matter movement is that they want to deal with, they feel that dealing with the racism problem will fix everything else. Um, and they don't recognize that the racism is literally created by those problems. Now, in some cases, when they're speaking about police, 
they want to get rid of police and as they say address the root problems by just reinvesting all that money into the community um you know therefore addressing the root but it's just it, it's not a solution that will work until you change the way people think and act and you know believe who live in those neighborhoods but anyway the point is is that there are no problems of individual groups these are all human race problems and i did a link here to an um old episode i had with brandy hume and ej to discuss racism and white privilege now Brandy Hume and I used to be really good friends, and initially she was kind of on the same side as me as this, and then eventually she started to slowly get kind of recruited into that way of thinking. We parted ways. I don't know what she's up to now, but the point is is that, again, it didn't used to be this crazy, weird idea within the zeitgeist movement that we don't do this stuff, where we just identify everybody by their individual groups of oppression and then determine their place in a hierarchy based on that. Anyway, this clip here, the kindergarten game, I, I share that all the time. It's on my old YouTube channel, you know, but he just, you know, kind of lays out how the, the capitalist character in his fictional parable, you know, sets about trying to divide and conquer everybody and that racism and sexism and all that were just tools to divide us. You know, it's not that the, the capitalist elite is really concerned about white people being on top. That's actually not what motivates them. What motivates them is staying on top. And the best way to do that is to ensure that we are dividing ourselves by race and sex and all that. And I've been told that I'm wrong about this, but I'm, I'm sorry. It just, it's a lot more plausible to me because there are plenty of people of color in the elite. It, it's, it's not like they just, it's all about upholding white people specifically. It might've been in some like pockets of ignorant people here or there but it, the the masterminds behind all of this they don't care so anyway you know there's been conversation that kind of happened after that but um you know this was what i wanted to share with all of you and it goes back to this issue of whether or not i've sold out to the right you know and what that means to people is that they want me to be quiet about anything that the left does that is wrong you know, they want it to be identified as something that's not relevant or whatever, you know, and if I don't just shut up when we do things that are incorrect as left-leaning activists, then I'm a right-leaning activist. That's the absolutism, you know, that has taken over. You either fall in line with us 100% or you are 100% on the other side. That's not critical thinking. At the end of the day, Jacques always said that the best defense against any kind of authoritarian takeover of society, like when we discussed like in a Venus Project society, how would we stop some nefarious individual from taking over, is you have to have critical and analytical thinking. You have to have a very clear understanding of what is actually taking place. And that means, for example, you don't do things like suggest that police brutality is a genocide. Is it a problem? Yes, it's a problem. But it's not a genocide. We, we have essentially manipulated the, you know, the public into believing that it's this massive problem that's murdering millions of people, and that's just not true. It doesn't mean we shouldn't address what's going on. A thousand deaths still matter. But there is an effort going on right now to so blow it out of proportion, and if you don't go along with this, if you don't go along with their lies, then again, just like George Bush, if you're not with us, you're with the terrorists. 
This is not critical thinking. This is not reality. If we want to move forward in a society to have like a horizontal consensus, consensus-based model, you know, eliminate all authoritarianism, then we cannot be stupid. I mean, I'm just going to be blunt. We cannot be stupid. We have to be able to think clearly. We have to be able to speak clearly, or we cannot have a horizontal society of people who are trying to reach consensus of what scientific solutions they should follow. And the reality is this. The, the current activism coming from the left is not rational, period. It's just not. If we can't be honest, if we're going to shame people for telling the truth, then you're not ready for a Venus Project Society. You're not. Take care.